When I first got saved, I studied that book backward and forward, so don't get me going on that, but we'll talk about the horses later. <laughs> Relational. The Bible says, this is the question, the Bible says to honor your mother and father and your days will be long. What if the mother and father are consistently tearing you down with words and how do you continue to honor them? That's a good question. The definition of honor means to give respect to someone who's admired. And understand this, when the word of God was written, it was written based on the premise that the mother and father would be honorable. Okay, that was the understanding, that if you're reading the word, that you are already honorable, therefore you should give honor where honor is due, as the Bible tells us. But we do know there's some parents that have struggles and issues and didn't have, weren't, weren't treated right themselves, and now it's just a generational curse. But um, it says this, you can actually honor your, honor your parents by peacefully and prayerfully keeping distance from them. It's not dishonoring because you're not coming around. It's not dishonoring because you're not going to the barbecue. If you know what, there's going to be a hot mess there, it's wisdom that would say, hey, I can't make it, love you, send some flowers, send some beans, send something. <laughs> but you don't have to be constantly berated and uh, uh, verbally abused by those that you know that don't have their best interest for you. Um, Romans 12, 18, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men, if it's possible. Sometimes there's impossible situations that there just cannot be peace, okay? Um, Luke 6.28, of course, says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who use you. It doesn't say go have coffee and have dinner and go have lunch. It just says to bless them, speak life over them, long life, speak blessing, and pray for them. But, you know, there it is. And Luke 6, I'm sorry, Matthew 12.48 and 50, Jesus asked, who is my mother, who is my father, them that are doing the will of my father, who's my mother and brother, Jesus says, then they're doing the will of my father. So he makes that clear with the relationally that it goes. If your family's not serving Jesus, sometimes you have to make a decision. And sometimes it's very hard to make those decisions. And then here's my favorite one for the woman that asked this question. Psalm 27 and 10 says, when my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. There it is. Amen. You should give the Lord a hand praise for that. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. What a beautiful scripture that God covers every basics of our life. God knew that parents wouldn't be the best parents, that there'd be issues. But he says, no, here's a scripture to cover that. So no more, no more being a victim and no more feeling sorry for yourself. All of us got some jacked up parents, right? And if they're better now, they were all jacked up before, just like we all were. So don't let the devil use that to keep you bound and in chains, all right? Your father, God, is with you. Second question, being a mother of two girls, were there moments where you bumped heads a lot because of personalities being so much alike? My daughter and I are like that, and sometimes I feel like I'm running out of patience. Any moms in the house just couldn't stand their daughters? Praise, I mean, let's just, it's just us, let's be real. I mean, just didn't like them. They were cute, and then something happened. Just couldn't stand them. Oh, gosh. And it is true. It's usually because they were just like you, right? Right? Did you know that, like, mother like daughters in the Bible? Did y'all know that? Put up Ezekiel 16.44. I love the Bible. It covers everything. Ezekiel 16.44. Where is it at? Is it up yet? I never use this like pastor. 
Indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this Proverbs against you, like mother, like daughter. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the point, but I thought that was cool. <laughs> that we think we come up with good stuff, but we don't. It's in the word. But, but, but isn't it true, like mother, like daughter? Oh, my gosh, you know, uh, having gr- boys are easy. Just feed them and, and, and give them a Band-Aid. <laughs> and they don't mess with you. Get them an Xbox. But girls... Glorious girls, the drama, the tears, the fights, the clothes, the friends, okay? Girls are hard. And what I would say to that is that um, I struggle with my girls absolutely. Not really not liking them so much all the time, but more seeing things in them that reminded me of me and it would just drive me nuts. Because it's reminding me of the old me. Remember, I'm saved and born again. That, 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 that one's dead. But within them, it's yet alive. <laughs> And so <laughs> I, I realized that's what I was fighting against. And mom, that's what you could be fighting against is that you see who you used to be and it gets you angry and upset. But I also had to learn with my daughters that I had to love them as they grew into a new person. Remember when they used to lay hands and pray for everybody? Remember when they were little and now they're cussing and fighting and yelling and they don't even want to go to church? Maybe that was just my story. They, they hated church and they had it on their face. They hated church. Um, I, I remember that, I, but I had to learn to love them as individuals. I had to learn why they liked the rappers they liked and the music they liked and their friends, their weird, heathen, thoughty little girlfriends. Because, you know, birds of a feather. So I'm like, if she's looking sketch, what are you doing? So to that mother, I would say, yes, I know your feeling, I know your pain, but I would say this, love your daughter as she becomes anew. Get to know her and her likes and her dislikes and actually become friends with her. Still have boundaries, still whipped up behind if you need to when they're little. Oh, I miss spankings. It's been a minute. But <laughs> I do spank Stella every now and then. <laughs> love taps. But, but love them. And then remember, you're a new creature in Christ. When you see that old man, talk to her. That old you, talk to her about generational curses. Talk to her about iniquities that visit. Be honest. Don't tell all your story, but be like, hey, listen, I know you're wearing them tight shorts because I used to wear them booty shorts too. You get it from your mama. Let's cover them cheeks and keep it moving. (laughs) Next question. Would God send me a man who is so broken and full of hurt? Because the one who's found me is in real need of love and a strong woman. Someone say mama syndrome. I'm just kidding. Don't say that. If you're here, no, let me answer your question. How about this? You should never, no, look at me. We as women should never want a man that we are emotionally stronger than. Amen. Never. Now, there's seasons where you've got to be the strength, and there's seasons where you have to be the one that, there's seasons of that. But if you start a relationship where you're the mama and he's the boy, now God can change it. But sometimes we shouldn't ask for miracles. (laughs) You're just setting yourself up for a miracle. (laughs) 
So, I, and, and, and there should be balance on both sides. There should be balance on both sides. Again, there's nothing wrong with encouraging the man and helping him, but if he's a weakling and he's crying more than you and he's upset more than you, he's discouraged more than you, and every day you're saying you're going to make it, it's going to get better, things are going to change, don't do it, and, don't, and keep your head up and keep fighting. That's exhausting. Amen. And that's not even in our nature as women. The word is clear. It says here that we are the weaker vessel. You know that, right? We're the weaker vessel. Um, it says for 1 Corinthians 7 and 14. For the Wait, wrong scripture, wrong scripture. It says Peter 3 and 7, 1 Peter 3 and 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. If this is someone you're going to marry and it's a husband, that's part of his job is to see you weaker, not stronger. Because when the bills aren't getting paid or there's issues in your marriage and there will be issues, he's going to be leaning on you for the emotional and sometimes spiritual stamina, and you don't want yourself set up for that. So what I would say to you, woman, is did God send him? Every good and perfect gift is from above. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Moving on. Let's see here. What advice would you give to a woman? Let's see. What advice would you give to a woman who is married to a saved man, but the marriage continues to be affected by addiction, adultery, and abuse? Married by a that, that was me. I was married to a saved man. Y'all remember we tell the stories about when Pastor was in his BC days? Pastor was in church. He was in church. He heard God calling him at eight years old. He had given his life to Jesus. He had been baptized, water baptized even. He was going to church. He was saved, you know, as far as confessing, but he wasn't living for Jesus at all. So I understand, woman of God, exactly what you're going, for, going through. Um, it's hard when someone says they love Jesus but lives contrary to it. Someone that knows the word and does opposite. It's painful even because you're watching asking why. Why can't you just apply the word of God to your life? Well, it's called flesh. There's a war that goes on and it's easier to give up and not try and not combat those things and give up those things you like so much. So I understand the struggle. So here's a scripture for you. 1 Corinthians 7 and 14, it says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, being heirs together. You as a wife have power to pray for your husband and to claim him as sanctified or separated from the world. You have the power to say, God, I know he's living this way, but we are one flesh and I love you. And your word says that you have called us apart and we are joint heirs. We're heirs together. So I speak life over him and I speak that appetite be dead in Jesus' name. Come on, these are the things, amen. You got to say these things out loud and claim it and believe that God's going to eventually prick his heart and change him. Um, it says this, another thing you had to do, I had to do, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. It says, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Oh, that even... If some do not obey the word, if some do not obey the word, if some do not obey the word, this scripture is for saved people, not the world. That even if they do not obey the word, that without a word from you may be won by, their conduct, by the conduct of their wives. When, we, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Here it is, woman of God. 
your husband is not serving God. He's not listening to the word. He's not coming to church. But let me tell you, this scripture works. I did not even know the scripture was in the Bible until years later when God told me, keep on going to church and just live a better life. Keep on going to church and keep your house clean. Live a, uh, keep on going to church and don't talk so much. Keep on going to church and don't argue. Keep on going to church and just praise the Lord in his presence. I didn't know that God was instructing me on how to behave in front of my husband. I thought I was just trying to keep my mind right. Come on, somebody. Amen. I'm just trying not to kill him. Hallelujah. I, I, I had no idea that this was going to work in my favor because God was saying, listen, if you live a certain type of life, he's watching you every day. You, woman of God in that house, is the Jesus that he needs to see and that he needs to watch. And I'm telling you, it says by chaste conduct, which is a very churchy world, but basically it just means controlled behavior. Don't go off all the time. Even though you deserve it, or he deserves it. Well, even you deserve it because it feels good. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but don't do that because the Holy Spirit is working, and we don't understand how. But again, we're sanctified and set apart. So for you, woman of God, I pray for you. I pray your strength, and I pray that you're able to be led by the Holy Spirit on how to behave and act because it does matter. And I know what it's like to be in your room screaming in a pillow Nobody can see you, but when you're out there, it's like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And after years, I did that for years, woman of God. I did that for years. All of a sudden, one day, he came to church. And that, he wasn't arrested yet, but it was a start. Praise the Lord. How does one overcome the hurt and feeling of loneliness after a divorce? Let me just see. If you're not ashamed, who's divorced in the house? Who's divorced? Who's divorced? Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. No shame in that. Praise the Lord. God's a God of a second, third, fourth, ch fifth chance. It, no, honestly, divorce is painful. And when I read this question to pastor, he's the one that wanted me to ask to see how many we have in the house. We know one out of every two couples get divorced. How many are married? How many thought of leaving him? <laughs> see? Now, how many was married, wanted to leave, and got divorced? Everybody raise their hand. You, you, you divorce, raise your hands, keep them up, and you're married but wanted to leave, keep them up. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you all in the same boat, y'all. You're defeating the purpose. <laughs> no shame, no condemnation in the house, okay? Um, but divorce is a death. It's a death of a marriage. It's death of dreams. It's death of goals. It's death of hopes, death of plans. It's a death. And when a divorce occurs, you should and have to go through the mourning purpose, the mourning process, because you're mourning the marriage. I think too often people in the church try to just get up and you're fine, and it's good. No, 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 I still miss him. I couldn't stand him, but I miss him. I, I know he was no good, but we had kids. You can't just discount everything that we created together. We had hopes and dreams, and they got shattered, especially when you realize that the enemy came in and destroyed your marriage. That hurts too, because sometimes you can't go back and fix it right? So it's, it's hard. But Matthew 5 and 4 says this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. If you're dealing with the divorce still, the pain of the divorce, I ask you, did you ever ask God to comfort your heart? Did you ask God to come in and just heal your heart from not what you did, not what he did, but just from the tearing away? My next scripture I have for you is Psalm 147 and 3. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Psalm 147 and 3, he heals if your heart's been broken by a marriage. He heals the brokenhearted. He heals your heart. 
And healing takes time. No one does ever gets a scratch and healed overnight. It takes time for healing to occur. And this is my favorite part, that he binds up their wounds. In order for you to bandage somebody or bind somebody up means you have to be in close proximity to. Jesus is saying, I'm, I need to be close to you to get near enough to bind up your wounds. So keep that relationship going with him. Remain close to Jesus, and over time you will be healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Next question. My husband keeps on asking me about my sexual past. I had a season of bad decisions, a.k.a. thoughtin' around. But I love our honesty at church. But I don't want to tell him the truth. I have not shared everything I've done, and now when we're intimate, I feel like a liar. What should I do? What do you think, ladies? Let me hear it. Let me hear it louder. Listen. Come on, somebody. We've all had bad seasons. <laughs> Things we're ashamed of and pray we never run into that person again, right? <laughs> However, my question is this, why does he want to know? You know, I, what, what, what's that about? Like, who have you been with? You know, I'm, I mean, I just, it's such an unfair double standard, right? It's just not fair. Men get praised for all the women they've knocked off. But we, if we were the door, I'm just kidding. It's a double standard. It's not fair. And I would want to know, why does he want to know? And, and I think all my ladies here said it. You don't tell everybody all your, you don't, you don't share your whole testimony. Sometimes things have to go to the grave with you. Take it to the grave, boo. Don't feel bad. You didn't lie, you just can't recall. <laughs> Here's the truth. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is, a new, is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You're brand new in Christ. You don't have time to relive your past. You don't have time to go back. You're brand new. You are a brand new creature in Christ. Next scripture I have for you, 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, not to your husband, this is to Jesus. Come on. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are not that dirty girl anymore. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. My third scripture for you, Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no, if anybody's making you feel condemned or shameful, you change that conversation and say, No, I'm not about to be condemned for something Jesus has forgotten about. I am brand new. I am not that person. Do not hold my past against me. Jesus does not even remember anything I've done, and neither do I. Hallelujah. That makes it sound spiritual. Hallelujah. So that's what you guys agree with that? You agree? 
And to my wisdom, wisdom to my ladies too that are maybe in a new relationship and young and looking and you had a season of thought, thoughtiness before Christ or even after. You, you don't have to, that's the old person. Okay, there's no, new, there's no need to bring up shameful stuff you're ashamed of. Because as women, we're ashamed. There, I think, we, right? <laughs> we should feel bad about that. All right. Okay, that's it. Now, financial questions. Don't worry, the sexual ones are coming. Financial questions. Should I have a joint bank account with my husband? Who says yes? Clap, clap, clap. Say yes. Who says no? Clap if no. Clapping loud in the back row. No, you don't need my bank account. <laughs> ah, everybody runs their household differently, okay? So before I start that, let me say everybody runs their household differently. But, you know, I would ask you, what's the motive of keeping your own account? Is that your just in case he decides to trip out and I got to leave real quick? Is that just so he doesn't know what I'm really spending at the store? You know, <laughs> Jesus, what's the motive of you having your own account? Usually it's trust. I don't trust you. And just in case that joker tried to trip, that's okay. I got my money. He has his money. And, uh, you know, and, that, <laughs> and that's no way to live, okay? That's not, it, it, again, motive. That's no way to live. I know it's hard. I know it's tough. Some of you, it's harder. It was, it was easier for you to walk down the aisle than to merge that account. <laughs> you waited a few months before the merge took place. <laughs> and I understand that we, we work hard for our money, and, and that is your security. But, I, but here's my scripture for you. In my household, we've always shared, always, 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 okay? So that's just in our house. But Philippians 2 and 2 says this, Fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. I'll read it again. Fulfill my joy of being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind, and pastor added, and one bank account. <laughs> he added that. So again, that's how you have, but that's how we believe, and I think that there, tr trust is usually the motive on why you don't want to share your money, so deal with that. Next, my husband's family keeps borrowing money from us and not returning it. How should I handle getting him to stop giving them money and then not asking for it back? Has anybody been in that situation where you're just giving money and you're like, you know, he's not, has no intentions to pay you. It's frustrating. I would say definitely have a conversation with the husband. Um, but allow the scripture to give you peace of mind. Because what happens, if you're married to a giver, and they're always giving, and it's always an issue, it creeps into your marriage. And now you're fighting, and you're arguing, and over the person that you know is not going to pay back. This is what gave me peace, because pastor is definitely a giver, and, to, you know, and he's been delivered since then. But he used to always, always, always. So here it says this, Psalm 37 and 21. Here, this should make you feel good about your family member. The wicked borrows and does not repay. I'm sorry, it just, that makes me feel good as a person. And then it says, but the righteous shows mercy and gives, okay? So that's what you have to make yourself feel better, that when they give the money just in your head, the wicked borrow and do not repay, okay? Proverbs 19 and 17, he who has pity or gives to the poor lends to the Lord. That's a better one, amen? 
Anytime your husband gives to someone that's in need or poor, please know in your heart, God, you owe me. No, seriously, I would say that when I had found out that another family member or whatever came around, I would say, okay, great. And in my head, God, you owe me. I'm looking for that 500. I'm looking for that 100. I need that 50 back. Amen. Because the, the that way I'm not putting it on the person and getting mad in my marriage when I don't need to be, especially when they know what, you know, his pattern is. Okay, next. My husband says he's looking for a job, but I don't think he's really trying. <laughs> I am tired of being the only financial supporter in our relationship. What should I do? Who was that? I'm just kidding. All marriages have seasons where the wife has maybe the only one working. Who was there? I was there. Anybody the only wife working? It was a season. It was a season. It was a season. Okay? And then he got a job, right? So I, you, he may not, you may not, you know your man. You know he's not trying or you wouldn't have said that because, all right. First um, Timothy 5 and 8 says this, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is the truth of the word. There's jobs everywhere. Taco Bell, Chipotle, if you want to upgrade, Okay. There, you, there, now, now, we're not saying career. We're saying job, paycheck, cable bill, light bill, insurance. That's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to make a money to put down payment on a home. We're just trying to survive. So in the interim, you can go ahead and do that. Do you guys know that when Pastor didn't have a job, he was a telephone solicitor. Remember telephone solicitors back in the day where at night after 6, the phone would start ringing and they're selling stuff? Pastor would sell um, Richard Simmons cookbooks and videos to people all night long. You're a pastor. And he was the best salesman in the thing. He absolutely was. And he's shared the story before, but I'm telling you, that was not a career for pastor. It was just a job. Another time, he was a carpenter. Now, if you guys don't know this about my husband, Christina's laughing because you know, we don't own a hammer in my house or nails or a screwdriver or light bulbs or flashlights. He's just not a handy guy, you know. And so, <laughs> pastor, he's just, you know, if something's broke, we call somebody. It's always been that way, always. Or it just never gets fixed. So, um, pastor, we, so we call him Regina on some days because he gets his nails done, toes done, he gets massages. <laughs> he's very into that, okay. He doesn't care. He'll tell you. He loves, he loves a good pedicure. He was trying to have me get one today. He loves that. So, but he was a carpenter, and he actually came home dirty, and he's like, honey, my hand, he's very big about his hands, my hands, I'm getting these things, they were calluses, I'm getting these things on my hands. <laughs> I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, what I'm saying is he did whatever it took to work, because he understood that I got to take care of my family. So I would encourage your husband, I'm not ashamed that you work at KFC. Bring home that free chicken. Come on, be smart. He works and provides a dinner. Come on. And encourage him to do something. And in the interim, keep on working and be strong. I know what that's like, but it will change in Jesus' name. All right, next question. How should I deal with my husband's debt from before we were married? How should I deal with his debt? Anybody want to shout out an answer? The, thank you, Stella. You're prepared. Check before you get married. And, oh, 
okay, next. No, no, honestly, when, when you marry him, you marry the debt. Sorry. It's kind of like the kids. Except for the debt doesn't visit on weekends. Okay, sexual questions. Sexual questions. Are you guys ready? Is it okay to test drive before marriage? <laughs> you never want to purchase a car without driving it first, right? It could be a lemon. I love it. And what's wrong with having sex with my boyfriend if we were going to get married anyway? We already live together and have kids. Okay? Two separate questions. First one, is it, is it okay to test drive before marriage? You guys know the answer, right? Man, it doesn't seem right though, right? It seems like God would give you a pass. <laughs> this is Kelly talking right now. And, and it's important because if you marry that person, you'll be having sex with that one person for the rest of your life. So it is a little bit of a toss-up. It's a gamble. You're hoping. Now, although I would say, I, a woman of God, here, let me get spiritual real quick. 1 Corinthians 7 and 8, it says, but I say the unmarried into the widows, it is good for they remain as I am, but if they cannot express or exercise self-control, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And we also know that fornicators won't enter the kingdom of God and all that. So there, there's, there, there's spiritual damage that can be done when you're fornicating. So I, the spiritual in me would say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do not have sex before marriage. Absolutely not. But you may want to kind of brush by, make sure things are working. <laughs> You may want to accidentally, oops. Oh. Okay. You just kind of, whoo, oh, okay. <laughs> Listen, it's happened. I had a beautiful woman of God that got married and on their wedding night realized that that wasn't working. And she was so happy that they kept, kept, they kept these, of course they kept it themselves. He couldn't. Isn't that sad? You wait your whole life for the wedding night. Girl, you are ready. You've been being strong for months, years. And you come out with your lingerie on and the candles lit and the fireplace going. And the... I mean, you're wide awake. You're up. Everybody's up, but... Sad day. I mean, do you get divorced? I mean, what do you do? Marising annulment. Man. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. What's wrong with having sex with a boyfriend? You guys, I know it's hard when you live together. It's very hard. But again, why are you not married? 
That, that, those are serious questions to ask. Why are we not married? And are we going to get married? And what's the plan to get married? Because we love Jesus and we don't want to live this life. That you are actually sinning against your own body, the word of God says. That it's not blessed when you're not married. And God wants to bless your marriage and your family. So my question would be, get, my answer would be, why are you not getting married? Get married. All right. Next question. I am not attracted to men or women. Is that of God? Yeah, they're not attracted to anybody. They're just not sexually attracted to anyone. Well, there, there, there are people that are called to singlehood. There are people that call, Paul was single. There's people in the Bible that were single, and they just have no desire for anything. And I don't think that it's wrong. You said, it's, is it of God? I think it is at times, um, if it's pertaining to you. 1 Corinthians 7 and 8 says, but I say the, to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain as I am. That's Paul speaking. He was single. So he said it was good, but then he goes on to, unless they can't, you know, if they're burning with passion, they should get married. And, um, but here's why, just to my single people that don't have attraction sexually to anybody. Um, 1 Corinthians 7.32 says, but I want you to be without care. Who, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. That's your goal when you're not married. If you're not married and you're not attracted sexually to anybody, your life purpose should be to care for the things of the Lord, and please the Lord with everything if you're not supposed to be married, okay? Which leads into my next question. Is masturbation a sin, and is it a sin to pleasure yourself if you're single and celibate? I had about nine questions, all y'all. Don't look guilty. No, listen, I think it's good we have these talks in church. Good question, right? Is masturbation a sin? I, I, Pastor and I searched and searched and searched to find it in the Bible. It's not listed as a sin. Fornication, adultery, adultery, all that is sin. It, it's, not a, it's not listed as a sin according to the word of God. It's not, it's not a sin. But if you're saying that you're single and celibate, you're not celibate. Because um, the definition of celibacy is to abstain from marriage and sexual relations. And I think that would include yourself. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, basically, if, if, you're, if you're single and you're struggling with masturbation, what that is saying is that you should not be alone. So don't say, I'm good all by myself, me and Jesus. No, not after midnight. <laughs> Listen, God wired our bodies. He knows we have needs and urges, and sometimes it's stronger than other times. I mean, it's nothing to be ashamed of. I think sex is great and beautiful and wonderful, and it feels good. God knew where all the nerves should go and why it all, it's all, it all works. He's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so if you're single, though, and you're struggling in that area, that simply means you need to be in a relationship. You need to be healed up your heart prepared to be open to the man of God that would come into your life that God would have for you. And I think sometimes we set such high, unrealistic standards for who we're looking for that the average guy walks right on by, but uh-uh, he's not Hercules. I need Hercules because God showed me a six-foot-four, six-pack, green-eyed beauty person. And God's like, no, he's five-six, 
drives a Chevy and loves Jesus and will treat you right. So the, what I'm saying, though, is that it could be the fact that, you know, what if you don't want to be in a relationship? I'm too old to be in a relationship. I'm not trying to start all over again. Well, something is, something is telling you you're missing something. You're, you're missing something. And realize, you know, it won't be long before you will go get the five, six person because pretty soon you're going to want something breathing on you, right? Okay. Right? You want an actual body to hold on to in the... Did I give you a scripture? <laughs> Did I give you a scripture, you guys? Oh, man. Where is my masturbation scripture? Okay. <laughs> Here it is. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, and 5. For this is the will of God, you, your sanctification. That is God's will for you. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess or control his own body with sanctification, with honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. There it is. That's the scripture. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for clapping. Otherwise, wrap it up. Move on. Um, here we go. Next question. Do I have to have sex with my husband just because he wants to? Isn't it funny that some are like, should I masturbate? Some are like, do I have to have sex with them? Isn't that funny? It's like, single people are like, man, like, and they're married, like, oh, tonight, again? Yes, the answer is yes. Now, let me be on, let, let's, let, okay, let's be realistic. If you're not feeling well, if you're, you know, physically not able to because something's going on in your body, you know, maybe he should be understanding, but... Other than that, it's unfortunate, but you, yes. You could fake that you're sleeping, though. That works. You could be on your period again. They don't keep track. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, and 5. Are we, we can't sell this. This is not going on AZTV. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, and 5 says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, let each man have his own husband. Let the husband render to the wife the affections due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent from a time that you may give yourselves up to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's your answer. Praise the Lord. Next question. My husband is not in the mood every time I try to initiate sex. What should I do? Find out what is wrong. Because if he's not getting it from you, he's getting it from somewhere. And it could be not a person. Pornography is huge. So, you know, it's a problem. It's an epidemic. So you need to ask some questions and find out what that's all about. Check some cell phones. Do a little following. Okay, next. Was he really at work? Another meeting? Let's see. Are erotic, next question. Are erotic practices, bondage, whips, chains, and role play with my spouse okay? 
who is yelling yes? Someone's like, yes. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Listen, Pastor and I both agree this right here. Hebrews 13.4, the marriage bed is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. In other words, the marriage bed is pure. Whatever y'all do in your bedroom is none of our business. I'm not going to put any rules on what y'all like to do and how y'all do it, okay? I do not agree with third parties, including videos, movies, or people, okay? I just... Right? Because it says that fornicators and adulterers will be judged. So the word is clear that if a man looks to a woman with less in his eye, he's committing adultery. So if there's a little extra movie on and that's the focus, please don't think he's looking at her thinking what beautiful eyes she has. There's, there's, there's less to it. So you're, you're allowing him to commit adultery. And you too, woman. Let's just be honest. We've been honest so far. So, I mean, you do your thing. If that's what you want to do, we don't need to know about it. I, I don't think that sh sex should hurt. Not always. I'm just kidding. All right. Moving on. <laughs> you know what I mean. It shouldn't be like a tie me up. Wait, hey, but if that's you and you want to get paddled, listen. You can still sing on the choir. Just we don't. <sighs> just don't tell us because we won't be able to worship. Girl, she got a bruise. I know. <laughs> and that was my last sex question. Amen. Give Lord a hand praise. All right. I had some people ask me, so, is it too late for you guys? Are you good? Are you ready to go? Okay, I got four questions that so people ask me personal questions. Um, it says, first question is, I hear you mention the rough part of your marriage. At one point, how did you overcome it? Um, for those that don't know my story, it's very long and lengthy. I am going to be writing on a book while I'm on my um, vocal rest. I figure I'll make it, you know, do something productive with that. Because people ask all the time, and I assume you all know. But yes, it was a rough patch in my marriage. What I did, hold on to Jesus, stayed in church. Hold on to Jesus, stayed in church. That's really what it was. It's like, literally, whenever the doors were open, I was in church practice. I didn't care. I was in church a meeting. I wasn't even part of the board. I would just be there. I, 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 knew, I knew that my lifeline was in the house of God and that in the church was my peace. Not the building, but just the presence of God and around people that love Jesus. So that's what I did during those hard times, and that's how I overcame. God heals your heart over, over time. He just does. God's a healer, restorer. So that's what happened. Um, Next question, how do you find people that are able to pour into your life if all you know are those who are on your level? Um, personally, for me, I, you guys, I have people in my life that have been living longer than me, that have been serving God more than me. It's important that you have someone that can be able to pour into you and to help you when you hit rough times. My pastor, Pastor Wendy Treat, flew in last week just to see me for a day just to make sure I was all right. And during that time, we were able to talk and minister and have a good time of encouragement and fellowship. So it's important. And all of us need people like that in our lives. Don't ever get with anybody below you because sometimes you're going to need somebody to pour into you. It's draining if you're always the one encouraging. Someone's got to fill you back up, okay? Um, so third, what, in, what inspired you to become a pastor? Well, I knew I was going to be a pastor's wife. 
and I was going to work and support the ministry financially. Um, Pastor Steele forced me into preaching, and that's, been, that's how it's been ever since. He, my, my pastor, my husband, said, I see a call of God in your life. And he spoke into that and built it up. And then I became a, a preacher. But I was always a pastor with him. Just, you know, he just ordained me too like five years ago. I would always dodge the ordination, but I finally did it. Um, have you ever performed anywhere singing-wise? It, it, it makes me laugh how people want to hear me sing all the time. Um, no, I don't sing anywhere. In the shower? At church, listen, I love to worship God. I love to sing. And God's been dealing with me lately to sing more and to write music again. And that's, that's always happening. I'm always writing. And who knows what the future holds. But, um, you know, if the glory is falling and it's cloudy because he's here, then it's great. But on my own, like right now, probably not so much. Amen. Next, next story. Have you ever had, or next question, have you ever had a Hosea moment? where you knew God told you to do something that went against everything you thought was the direction he mapped out for you? Absolutely yes. 100% yes. We all have those moments. I was coming to a women's meeting. I was all hyped up about it, excited for it. I had to stop and get gas. I hate getting gas. But when I stopped to get gas, there was a girl there, and the girl looked like questionable. Short shorts, high heels, hardly nothing on the top, big hair, Looked like she had strong arms working the pole. She looked like a stripper. And I saw her, and clear as day, Holy Spirit says, invite her to church. And I said, no. Why would I invite her to church? Like, she's not even dressed appropriately. You, no, no, no. I'm pumping my gas. Holy Spirit again, invite her to church. Oh, Lord, clearly you see that she's not one of us. <laughs> clearly. I, 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 I'm not, I, I, no, she, she probably won't even come. So I pull out the gas, the, the, um, I pull out the parking lot, and as I'm driving just to turn, Holy Spirit says, invite her to church. Now I'm like, okay, so I'm going to the red light, making a U-turn, coming back to the gas station, and she's gone. I still think about her today. That had to be probably like nine years ago. I still think about her. That to me was the biggest moment because you never know who God would put in your life to invite to church. And God's always telling us and whispering and prompting us, talk to them about Jesus. Tell them about me. Share your story. But we feel embarrassed or we feel like they wouldn't receive it or we feel like, oh, it's not, I don't know enough knowledge. I don't know, I don't know how to quote scripture. Let me tell you, God is using you. He's using our voices. He's using our stories. He's using a simple invite to bring people into the kingdom. And God, I believe, has specific people assigned to us. So that was my Hosea moment. Every time I prepare to minister to you women, to preach to you, I always think of that woman and I think, okay, God, give me the right word to say to that specific woman that was not supposed to be here but somehow got here. That woman who said she'd never come to church again but somehow she found her way in here. I always want to be sure that I'm telling you the truth, that God loves you and that he's here for you. And these questions we went over there uh, today, common questions, nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed of. God's word has an answer to every aspect of our life. The whole reason why I want to do Q&A is to show you all that no matter what you go through, Jesus has an answer in this book. It's not me saying it. It's this book right here. I have opinions, and I think they're pretty funny sometimes, but the truth is in this word. I encourage you guys to pick up the word of God. Let that be your goal this week. If you don't have a Bible, find one. There's still one in your house somewhere, I promise. 
Some of you might use your phones, but get into the word of God. The next time you have a question, you seek what the word says. The word has answers to everything that we may be in need of, every hurt, every hiccup, every mistake. It's found in this word. You guys agree? Amen. Let's come on. Give the Lord a hand praise.